Daniel chapter 12, a much shorter portion of Scripture this Lord's Day from last week's and yet continuing in this final prophecy of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of the living God. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. And now, Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would take of us and water our souls with your word, raise from the dust any who are here who do not know Christ. Strengthen your people by your, your voice, O Lord Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord God was indeed very gracious to Daniel and to anyone who received God's words through Daniel in his time. Of all the things that we've considered over these last few months in the book of Daniel, we've seen heroic things, miracles done by the living God. We've seen words of prophecy given. In fact, words of prophecy that sometimes good and godly Christians disagree today about how to interpret And yet, have we stepped back together long enough to consider the goodness and graciousness of God to give Daniel these words when God's people were at their lowest? You're just joining us here in the final chapter of Daniel. Daniel is now at the very end of his life and at the very end of about 70 years of the people of God being in exile. This was the great old covenant people of God who had kings like David and Solomon, who built grand temples to the glory of God. This is the people of God who heard his words through prophets like Jeremiah, among others. This is the people of God who every year would slaughter animals so that that blood would be, as it were, an offering so that they could be ceremonially clean to continue to abide in the land, in God's presence, where God, the living God, who had made all things and who rules and reigns over all things, placed them in the land and put his very special presence among them. And now this people has been reduced because of their sinfulness and their breaking of covenant with God. They've been reduced to that land being taken away from them, to that temple being destroyed, to the walls of that city being crushed, and to most of them being killed, and a few of them carted off into slavery or exile. Boys and girls, that word exile means having to live somewhere that is not your home. And longing 
for your home. Has God not been gracious? Because in the midst of this lowest of lows, chapters 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, the word of God has come by his spirit, often through angelic mediators, to Daniel to give hope to the people of God. That anyone listening to Daniel's words might say, God has not forsaken his covenant. God has not forsaken his promises. God will finish the work that he began within us and bring it to the day of completion. Now, For this, we need to review for just a few moments. Last week, we saw in chapter 11 that as Daniel was praying, a vision was given to him. He's praying for his people. Chapter 10 sort of sets up the scene of Daniel receiving discomfort. And last week, we walked our way through a very challenging puzzle, didn't we? But it was detail by detail. Human history unfolded for Daniel in advance. We can look back and we can say, if we take Daniel chapter 11 and the history of the world, they line up perfectly. But Daniel is given this picture. A picture of all kinds of kings following after Alexander the Great who would go back and forth like a ping pong match, fighting for power. That eventually one of them would come, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he would crush, as it were, the spiritual practices of the people who by then had returned to the land. He would do awful things, blasphemous things. And God's people once again would grow cold. They would grow lazy. They would mix God with other gods. But then eventually a king would arise who would have seemingly Jewish interests, but also seem to serve not the God of the Jews, but seem to serve his own interests. And that would be King Herod. Of course, it's debated, but King Herod is, I believe, the man of 1136 through 45. And at the end of his reign, he receives very, very disturbing news. The text says in verse 44 of chapter 11 that he gets troubling news from the east and from the north. And we said that King Herod did. That is the King Herod of the first few chapters of the New Testament. The King Herod during Jesus's birth. He does receive very disturbing news from the north. His sons may be conspiring against him, so he has them killed. But what news did this king receive from the east? And that takes us, of course, doesn't it, to Matthew chapter 2, where King Herod receives wonderful news, but it troubles him. Your majesty, the wise men say, we're from the east. And we've heard wonderful news about a king of the Jews. And we've come to worship him. And King Herod, in a rage, kills every last boy that he can get his hands on. But he doesn't kill Jesus. And the text continues, doesn't it? We have verses and chapters in our Bibles, boys and girls, but that's not the way that it was written. Chapter 12 is just the next verse of the story. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people 
And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. And then look at the way the deliverance is described. Verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel has received a lengthy vision of what's going to happen between his day, about 500 to 550 years before the birth of Jesus, and the actual birth of Jesus. But this is not the first vision that Daniel has received. And the context of all these visions is helpful because once again, brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, what is happening in chapter 12? When is this great resurrection going to be? What is this great tribulation going to be? So very quickly, you can turn there if you like, or you can listen and just jot notes down. We've received lots of visions. Daniel has gotten lots of visions, hasn't he, boys and girls? Two of them are very similar. In Daniel chapter 2, he gets a vision, doesn't he, of a statue? And that statue has four kingdoms. The gold kingdom, the silver kingdom, the bronze kingdom, and the iron and clay kingdom. Those kingdoms are, in order, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then later, in Daniel chapter 7, he's given sort of the same picture, but now they're beasts. Babylon is pictured as a lion. Persia is pictured as a bear. Greece is pictured as a leopard. And Rome is pictured as that fourth beast that stands alone with iron teeth. So Daniel has been given broad pictures of all the kingdoms that are going to come between his day and when Jesus, the promised one, comes. Daniel receives another vision, doesn't he, in Daniel chapter 9 of the 70 weeks. And during that period, what happens? In those few verses in Daniel chapter 9, we get a picture of two main things. Two main things. Turn there with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, we won't linger here, but you remember that this 70 weeks is the entire period between Daniel's day, really a few years after Daniel's day, until the Messiah will come. Look at verse 24. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And then notice the description of what's going to happen in that 70 weeks. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And then in that summary, we see unfolded in verses 25 to 27 how that's going to happen. Verse 25, there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, which means the people are going to go back. Daniel, the people for whom you are praying, they're going to go back. There's hope here, Daniel. You're at the lowest of your low, but you're praying. And Daniel, you've come boldly before the throne of grace. And I'm telling you, your people will go back and I will not fail. Then in verses 26 and 27, we read, as we saw there, two main events. The accomplishment of eternal atonement for sins. When Jesus would come at the end of those final few weeks and die. For sinners like you and for me and Daniel. And we also saw of another event 
that shortly after that, but within a generation, that temple would be destroyed. That temple would be crushed in 70 A.D. Now, the reason why we need to review those events is because we're still in Daniel. And context in Scripture is absolutely crucial. Because it could be tempting to open your Bible. I I, I could open my Bible. You could open your Bible to Daniel chapter 12 in your morning Bible reading. And you could say to yourself, if you hadn't read the 11 chapters that come before it, well, this is seemingly about something really big that's going to happen and a resurrection. And without the context of the two things that we've seen mentioned in Daniel chapter 9, you might think to yourself, I might think to myself, well, this must have to do with the very end of times. As in our future. But the context of Daniel seems to be a continued set of visions about what? God ruling and reigning over the kingdoms of this world, particularly the kingdoms of the world that are going to rule until Jesus comes. Over and over and over again with animals and statues. With kings of the north and kings of the south, the continual message is what? It's going to be bad, but it's going to be really good, Daniel. So I think we carry that same context into chapter 12. So look with me there at chapter 12. The end of chapter 11, we saw that Persian kings were going to come. The fourth was going to be Xerxes I, then Alexander the Great, then a dividing of his kingdom, two of which will go back and forth. Remember all this? And then King Herod arises. And his end is about the same time when Jesus was placed in a manger in Bethlehem. So notice what chapter 12, verse 1 says. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. Now, we've met Michael before. Michael occurs in several places. A couple of them are in Daniel. If you read in the New Testament, he shows up in an obscure couple of verses in the book of Jude. He also shows up in the book of Revelation. And we've already discussed, as we looked at Michael a few chapters ago, that Michael is either one of two individuals. Michael is either another name for the angel of the Lord, making him the eternal son of God. Not a created angel, As the Jehovah's Witnesses say to this day, as the Arians of old used to say, but the eternal son of God, which would make sense. Who stands up to change everything at the very end of King Herod's life? Jesus. Or Michael could be, as would be the case throughout the pages of the Bible, a very special angel charged by Christ to care for Christ's people through the ages. Now, you may say, well, we've we've got to know which. I gave you a list the last time we saw Michael's name. Many of the reformers argued that it was indeed the eternal son of God, pre-incarnate. Boys and girls, pre-incarnate means before he was born and put on flesh like us. Modern commentators now probably more often sighed and say he he is a special angel. But in this instance, we don't actually have to make a distinct call, because in either case, if this is the eternal son of God or this is the special messenger of the eternal son of God, what happens next 
is actually the same. What happens next? Two events. That should sound familiar. Two events. If you look at those events in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, they are as follows. The deliverance of God's people with spiritual awakening and a great tribulation. What is that great tribulation? Well, Jesus himself says in his Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter 13 that that great tribulation is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The same two events that we saw in Daniel chapter 9. Context is so crucial. I don't believe Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 through 4 is a massive hiccup where we have King Herod and then we fast forward all the way down into our future thousands of years later. Daniel chapter 12 is the very next event. At the end of all the ping pong of kings, who's coming that will change everything? Christ will come. Christ will come. And he will bring about a spiritual change. The forgiveness of sins by his blood. And the temple system and the old covenant system, it will be crushed by a Roman general. And everything will be forever different. And from that day forward, the kingdom of God would come. And his will would be done. And everyone will know his name. Well, let's look at three simple truths before we're finished. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, I think we see three themes that God gives to Daniel that he's about to bring about for the people for whom Daniel pray. But those same three themes are for us today. You see, God's work in the Old Testament reverberates. It moves and bounces around to the next kind of people. What we can say about what Daniel sees here for the nation for whom he prays is larger than just the Hebrews. And it's happening today. Let me show you what I mean. The first thing that I think that we see at the end of this vision, for these last four verses are the very end of the long vision of chapter 11 and 12. The first thing that we see is this. God will not fail in his plan of redemption. God will not fail in his plan of redemption. You see, we stopped short of chapter 12 last week, didn't we? We got to King Herod and some news coming from the east. But there wasn't a godly king yet ruling over all things. If we just stopped there and we didn't know the story of the New Testament, we might think, well, who's the next king to enter this back and forth, this ping pong match? But in chapter 12, verse 1, we meet this final end. The text says, at that time, Michael shall stand up. Again, this is either Christ himself or Christ working through his special angel charged to care for Christ's people. We read of these two events. And there shall be a time of trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation. Who is the nation? Well, it's the old covenant people of God that are a nation. It's Israel. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. 
everyone who is found written in the book. So not the whole nation. Those delivered that are those found written in the book. So the two major events, again, are very similar to Daniel's 70th week. Daniel, you're praying for the Hebrews. They're in exile, but they're going to be returned to the land. The temple's going to be built. At the very end of this ping pong match, Michael will arise and the people for whom you are praying will be delivered and there will be great tribulation. Well, let's look at those two events. Turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Again, as you're turning there, it's very important to remember that Scripture interprets Scripture. Mark chapter 13 and verse 14. Jesus himself speaks, mentioning Daniel, of this day, this great tribulation. Verse 14, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing where it ought not let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, Insert the words of Daniel, those who are written in the book. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, the living Christ here, speaking to his disciples, prophesies that there's going to come a day that is going to be very difficult, full of tribulation. And he uses that phrase, abomination of desolation. Well, that should tell the Jewish listeners as they hear Jesus speaking. That was when Antiochus did what he did about 150 to 200 years before Jesus was born. But that that's going to happen again, because in A.D. 70, there's going to be very blasphemous destruction of the temple. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. Jesus helps us to understand Daniel chapter 12. So a day of great trouble, but then there's the description of his people being delivered. We've seen this multiple times. Daniel is praying for the nation. How will they ultimately be delivered? It won't be that when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, he will destroy the Romans. It won't be that when Jesus comes into the city riding on a donkey, he's going to create a a worldwide Christian culture. It's going to be that Jesus is going to give his life. He's going to die as a substitute for Jewish and Gentile sinners. And that the people for whom Daniel prayed, the people, the men of whom are marked in their bodies with the promise that the Messiah will come from them. They will see his face. And there the Son of God 
will die for sinners and deliver them from their greatest of all enslavements. God will not fail in his plan of redemption. And we're not in exile in Babylon, brothers and sisters. But maybe you are sitting here today and the circumstances around your life feel a lot like Daniel. You think to yourself with the psalmist, has God forgotten to be gracious? You ever read Psalm 77? Has God shut up his mercies forever? And God, through the pages of Scripture, is telling you essentially what Daniel received. I will not fail in my plan of redemption. I promised it in Genesis 3.15. I will see it through. Daniel, you are in your last days of exile. But Michael will arise. And I will not fail in my plan of redemption. So what are the two events? The ministry, life, death, resurrection of Christ, bringing about salvation for all who trust in him, and the destruction of the temple. Which means that Judaism is over. It means now that Jews and Gentiles alike get to enter in without a wall of division through the Jewish Messiah, Christ. God will not fail in his plan of redemption. Secondly, in verse 2, we'll see that God will bring new life to dead sinners. God will bring new life to dead sinners. Just speaking frankly to you, either Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, is a reference to conversion of sinners or it is a reference to something that is going to happen in the future in our future where there's going to be a resurrection which there will be which is it the text says many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some see this passage as a reason to view chapter 12 as being about the end times our end times there's a lot of ink that's been spilt there but, but, in connection with all the previous summaries of Christ's work in this book, and in connection with how God has already spoken up to this point in the Old Testament, this is likely a reference to the coming work of Christ in his earthly ministry and the promise for the nation of Israel at that time. This is the spiritual resurrection that Christ brings, that the Jews receive first when the nation gives way to a Jew and Gentile kingdom of God. And even, think about this, even as Christ comes and brings about this spiritual resurrection, we get a little bit of a, of a very tangible burst of this, don't we? What happens when Jesus is raised from the, the grave, boys and girls? What happens? The scripture says in Matthew chapter 27 that all the graves of Jerusalem open, that the saints, that is the righteous, may give testimony to Christ. They're walking around. We're not told a lot about it, are we? It's one or two verses. But the, the, the Bible says that when Jesus was raised... The tombs in Jerusalem surrounding his tomb, they just opened. And the saints of old came to give testimony. It's as if they're giving testimony from the dust. 
Christ brings spiritual resurrection. Well, before we move to our third point, I made the statement that God will bring new life to dead sinners. How does Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 point us to this? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, think about previous prophecy. Think about Ezekiel chapter 37 for just a moment. Have we ever seen a picture in the Bible before this where Israel as a nation is pictured as coming back to life? Yes, we have. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 11. Listen to what the Lord God prophesied through Ezekiel about the nation of Israel, which has implications to us today, by the way. Ezekiel 37, verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our dust is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you. Who sends forth his spirit into the hearts of people in the new covenant? The living Christ. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Who who are these dead bones, by the way? Well, first, it's the nation of Israel. But then secondly, it's a picture of every single lost person before they know Jesus. But, But first, it's the nation of Israel. Turn all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 5. We don't have to guess who the bones are. The book itself tells us. Ezekiel 6.5. Israel is described as very idolatrous. And there we read this in Ezekiel 6.5. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. Who are the bones? It's the idolatrous, syncretistic people of Israel. That God says, I will raise them from their graves. So when we get to Daniel, and we see Daniel using the same imagery, we just have, I've heard this before. There's going to be a spiritual resurrection of people. Christ speaks this way, doesn't he? When he comes on the scene, turn to John chapter 5. So before Daniel, we hear of spiritual resurrection of the nation for whom Daniel was praying. And then Jesus, the promised one, the one who comes as Michael arising. John chapter 5, verse 24. What, do, what does Jesus describe about his own work? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into the judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I think you take Ezekiel and Daniel and Jesus and you put them all together and you say, what Jesus is bringing about is dead bones from Israel arising. The nation for whom Daniel prayed will arise. Now notice what it says. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. 
Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. You're praying for the nation, Daniel. You're praying for the dead bones. When Jesus comes and he does what he does, many are going to arise to everlasting life. They're going to hear the voice of Christ from their graves, as it were. Their figurative graves, that they're going to arise with faith in the one who has healing in his wings. People like Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Philip and Andrew and Mary and Mary Magdalene. But there are going to be others from this nation who arise to contempt like Sadducees and Pharisees. I'm going to pray for the nation, Daniel. Here's the hope. God will not fail in his plan of redemption. And God will bring new life to dead sinners. You're looking all around, Daniel, and you're saying to yourself, people are starting to return, and yet even those people are growing weak in the knees. Is there anyone who will be faithful to the living God? Will there ever come a day when God's people will be marked by everlasting, non-takeawayable life? Yes. Yes, there will. It's when God will bring new life to dead sinners. Revelation chapter 20 verses 5 and 6 even speaks about a type of first resurrection. Many of those down through the ages interpret those verses as a picture of what happens when a dead, God-hating, spiritually dead, God-hating sinner hears the voice of Christ and is converted. Brothers and sisters, Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 through 4 I don't think is about something that's going to happen down the road. I think it's the next piece. King Herod fails. Jesus comes and changes everything. You may say, well, okay, I could see that. But we're not Jewish, at least not most of us. How do we chew on this food of Daniel 12, 1 through 4? Well, Let's go to a book of scripture that was written predominantly to non-Jewish individuals. You could turn there, although most of you won't need to because it's a precious passage. You see, Daniel chapter 12 is, yes, I believe, firstly a picture of what's going to happen when Jesus comes and the nation of Israel is revived or resurrected, as it were, spiritually to give way to the Messiah and what he's going to do among Jew and Gentiles alike. The spiritual resurrection that he will bring. But did you know that every single person that's saved could be described in the same language of Daniel 12, 1 and 2? Listen to the way that Paul speaks to a bunch of Gentiles. The church of Ephesus. And you he made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. You're the dead bones. Your corpse is scattered all abroad. You have no spiritual life in you. You were dead. And God made you alive. Who were you? Well, Ephesians 2 says, You walked according to the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. This is your resume before you came to Christ, friend. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What are the next two words? But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, what did he do, brothers and sisters? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You see, Daniel chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 2 speak to something that is glorious. It's called regeneration or being born again. Listen to the way that our statement of faith here describes it. This is the London Confession of Faith, chapter 10, paragraph 1. Those whom God has predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. And then here, listen to what happened to you. Listen to what happened to you if you're a Christian. Enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. Taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh. Renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good. And effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet, so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. This is what Jesus is going to teach Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We're spiritually dead. In Daniel's day, he could look around. In Ezekiel's day, he could look around. And it seems as though there's nothing but death everywhere spiritually. But when the promised Messiah would come and do his work of dying on the cross, and when the old covenant is ultimately crushed by the Roman Empire, if you will, in 70 A.D., giving way and life to all of the message of the gospel, unhindered by all that held it back. The gospel is going to go forward. But just like for Daniel's people and Ezekiel's people and people in our day in Hampton and Newport News and York County and Portsmouth and Chesapeake, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. They don't have life in them. They very much are breathing. Their hearts are beating, but they're dead. They're separated from God. And out of that death, they smell of the grave. It's called sin. And every day they do what dead people do. They cease to live unto God. Sins multiply day after day and year after year. But seemingly, unexplicably, they hear for the 10,000th time the news That Jesus Christ was sent as the eternal Son of God who put on flesh, was born of a virgin, was placed in a manger, and from that manger walked all the way to the empty tomb, past the cross, their cross, and he died on that cross for their sins. And there as he hung for hours on the cross as the infinite Son of God in his humanity, suffering the torments deserved for an eternity of sins. He paid the price for sin. And they hear that message. And they think to themselves, having heard it 
10,000 times before. That is true. I don't know why I didn't see that before. That's true. Do you know why they say that's true? Do you know why you said that's true? Because the spirit of the living God came and gave you new life. He caused you to be born again. The snazzy word for it is he regenerated you. He gave you life where there was only death. And out of that life, you saw Christ and you heard with your ears the message of the gospel through a preacher. But in your soul, you heard the spirit aligned with that preacher's words. Come to Christ. And you came. And everything's been different. Now when you sin, there's a struggle. They say, I don't know if I came or not. I sin all the time. It bothers me. There's a struggle. Why do you think there's a struggle? You're a living man. You're a living woman still wrapped in the clothes of the grave. You've not yet fully come to the felt reality of that resurrection, but he's given you life by his spirit. And yes, you're struggling with sin. And when you struggle with sin, it is a wonderful thing. Because it means that you have life. Dead people don't struggle with sin. They may shift to their sin. I want to be more moral. I want to be less addicted. I want to be a better person. That's shifting in sin. They don't struggle with sin. But you do. Because the spirit has come and given you life. Daniel... When Michael arises, after the king hears troubling news from the east, there will be a resurrection. Oh, there will be tribulation. The Jewish people will experience very difficult things in 70 AD, but there will be a deliverance, an eternal deliverance. Lastly, God will change his people into radiant messengers. Look at the last part as we close. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We don't have time to linger here, but have we ever seen people being referred to as stars or lights? Yes. Saints are called stars or lights in Philippians chapter 2.15. Matthew 13, verse 43 says, saints will shine. It's almost as if the New Testament writers knew the Old Testament. Revelation chapter 1, verses 16 and verses 20 describe human ministers as stars. (laughs) It's all we need. It's ministers being referred to the world as stars. They're not stars as in popular. They're shining as small little examples as the word comes through them to Christ's people. That's how they shine. They don't shine on the stages of this world. They shine when you don't see them and you see Jesus. So this language is about how the people that come through the spiritual resurrection will be used as witnesses. What are they going to do? Verse 3, turn many to righteousness. And then Daniel is told in verse four, shut up the words and seal the book. This is going to this is going to be a while, Daniel. I've told you what's going to happen, but close the scroll, close the book. A topic for another day. But interestingly, the book of the Revelation has scrolls opening, doesn't it? Books opening. 
God will not fail in his plan of redemption. God will bring new life to dead sinners. And God will change his people into radiant messengers. Christian, you're, you're a star. You're a light. Think about how many times the New Testament speaks to us, calls us to be what we are. Be a light to the world. How gracious the living God was at the lowest of the low in Israel to say to the prophet, one of the few that lived there still seeking God's face. Daniel, you have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do to the people of God. Let me show you just a little glimpse. Tribulation, destruction, but an eternal deliverance. And you know, the Daniel story hasn't stopped. Because those Jews would share the gospel with Gentiles. And those Jews would come to understand, like Peter, the gospel is not just for us. It's for Gentiles. And for the last 2,000 years, the word of spiritual resurrection and deliverance in Christ has not stopped. It's growing. There is a loud orchestra of gospel proclamation happening all over this world. And dead people, dead bones are coming to life. There's resurrection happening everywhere, and sometimes we don't see it because we're not there. Or sometimes it's a period where it's dark, but light is shining everywhere. And the nations are coming to Christ, and Satan will not stop it. Have you come to Christ? Do you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, Christ will receive you if you come? Let's pray. Living God, help your people. You are the one who gives the hope of spiritual resurrection in Christ. And one day, as the final pages of Scripture point to, a bodily resurrection. Help us to see, living God, that just as Christ has come forth from the tomb, so we now walk in newness of life, awaiting that day when we see his precious face. Give Daniel's hope to our hearts when it seems like all of society is at its low that you're still raising dead men to life. In Jesus' name.